He is risen, and I want you to say, he is risen. Normal. I'm going to say something, I want you to repeat back to me something, okay? I'm going to say, he is risen, and I want you to say, he is risen indeed, all right? He is risen. He is risen indeed. Good. Let's do that one more time. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Excellent work. Well, this morning, we do celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We're going to also celebrate baptisms here in a few moments, the new life that we have because of Jesus' resurrection. This is such a sweet and fun moment uh, for our community, and I am glad that we are all together this morning to do this. Um, Today, though, we also continue on in our journey through Matthew. If you've been around for a while, you know that we've been uh, in the book of Matthew for several months, and uh, this is, I think, a really critical conversation for our community, setting the foundation for who we are going to be as we move forward into the future together. And I struggled to know, given that this was going to be a long journey and at some point we were going to run into Easter, I struggled to know, do we keep going? Do we just sort of land wherever we land on this particular day? Do we fast forward? Do we do something else entirely? But I think where we are in the natural flow of Matthew suits us very well for this moment this morning. So if you have a Bible, open with me to Matthew chapter 14. And if you need a Bible, please raise your hand. Someone on our team will come around and make sure that you have a physical copy. We love for you to have a physical copy. And so if you want uh, that for this morning, if you want to take that with you, that is uh, great. That is your gift uh, from us. Uh, If you know someone who needs a Bible and you just want to take one and give it to them, please do that as well. But Matthew chapter 14 is where we will be. And we're going to begin in verse 22. And we'll go through verse 33. So read along with me. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get in the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. Well, he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake, And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. So Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are... Grateful to be here this morning. It's a beautiful day outside. It is Easter Sunday. We remember and celebrate the resurrection, this truth that Jesus gave his life for us on a cross 2,000 years ago and did not stay dead. Three days later, came out of that tomb, conquering the curse of death. This is the best news possible for us. And we celebrate it and we are grateful for it. But God, this morning we know that we live in this moment in time that is between the reality of the resurrection and the future when you will complete this project of making all things new. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Sri Lanka this morning. We pray against 
violence and terrorism. And we pray for peace and for your shalom to reign in this world. And for those of us here in this space right now, God, I I know we bring in all kinds of stuff with us this morning. Some of us are celebrating great things that are happening. Others of us have heavy hearts. We are struggling. We're worried about different things. We have fears and doubts. And so I ask that you would hold those things for us this morning. Would you meet us this morning and speak to us? in a fresh way, this reassurance that you are with us, that you are reaching down for us. This is such good news for us again. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Well, let's begin by talking about failure, everybody's favorite topic on Easter, all right? A couple of quotes about failure. This one, this first one is from Ellen DeGeneres. Failure, or it's failure that gives you the proper perspective on success. All right? Next quote is from uh, Thomas Edison. This is actually one of my favorite quotes. He says, I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that don't work. (laughs) I love that. Michelle Obama says, failing is a crucial part of success. Every time you fail and get back up, you practice perseverance, which is the key to life. Now, I don't share any of these quotes necessarily as endorsements, but to show us how, as a culture, there is this idea out there, this recognition that failure is closely related to success. That, in fact, we need to fail and go through this process of getting back up again and trying again, that failure makes us stronger in some way. All these sorts of ideas just floating out there in our cultural ether, and yet, and yet, we hate it. We hate failing. We do everything that we can to avoid it. We don't put ourselves in situations where we might fail. We play to our strengths. And when we do fail, our natural inclination is to, uh, is to cover it up, is to minimize it, is to put a positive spin on it, is to hope that only a few people bear witness to it. Stephen Colbert says the most important advice he ever received as a performer was you have to learn to love the bomb. (laughs) You have to learn to love the bomb. In other words, you have to accept failure and not just accept it, but even learn how to enjoy it. He goes on to say it took me a long time to really understand what that meant. It wasn't don't worry, you'll get it next time. And it wasn't laugh it off. No, it means what it says you got to learn to love when you're failing. The embrace of that, the discomfort of failing in front of an audience, leads you to penetrate through the fear that blinds you. So we hate failing, and yet we do fail. Yes, you do fail. (laughs) And we do whatever we can to avoid it, even though we really can't, and it can be good for us. It can lead to something better, but we run away from it. And this is a fascinating tension, and it's a tension in play in our culture today, and I think it's a tension very much at play in the story we look at this morning. So Matthew chapter 14, this relatively brief story for us, but full of all kinds of depth and meaning. And given the the, uh, relative short amount of time we have here, I'm just going to spend some time talking about Jesus, and then we'll look at Peter for a few minutes, and then we'll come back to Jesus. So to set the scene, we need to flash back to last 
Sunday, some of the things that come right before this, we see Jesus in some really difficult moments. Jesus goes home, and, and he's rejected at home by his friends and his family. And then his friend, his cousin, his forerunner, this guy named John the Baptist, is unjustly uh, murdered. And Jesus finds out about all of this right before we get to our scene here this morning. So before all this, Jesus is in pain. This is a really important truth for us to hold. Too often we think of Jesus as this mystical, hippie, zen-like figure who just skates through life without feeling anything deeply. No, Jesus had feelings. We believe that he was fully God, but also fully human. And so, of course, these moments hurt. Jesus is in pain, and he tries to get away from all the activity of life to recover from that, to spend some time processing that grief, but he cannot get away. In fact, the largest crowd recorded in any of, uh, of the tellings of the Jesus story shows up right at this moment that Jesus is in his greatest pain. And Jesus, incredibly, is not annoyed or frustrated by this. Matthew tells us he has compassion for them. He has compassion for them, and he spends time with them, and he feeds them, and he heals them. Now, having done all of that, we find at the beginning of our story this morning that he does actually get some time alone. And this is also really important. Again, a, a sub-point here, but we need to take note of this. Jesus does allow himself to be interrupted. And he keeps giving more and more, but he also takes time for solitude and privacy. And I think this helps us combat another misconception of Jesus, Jesus as superhero. And Jesus does incredible things. He's about to walk on water. He, of course, what we are celebrating this morning, resurrected from the dead. But he also takes time to be alone. Time to pray. Time to process his grief and pain. Time away so that he can re-engage with all the demands on him in a fresh way. Now, Jesus has this group of people with him, this group of followers called disciples, and he sent this team out ahead of him on a boat. Now, this leads to a couple of interesting questions, questions we don't get good answers to, but they're interesting anyway. Did Jesus explain to these guys what was going to happen, how they were going to meet up? Did they have any idea what he was up to or why he wanted them to go ahead of him? Did they have any idea what the reunion was going to be? And then for Jesus, why go for a walk? Why not just teleport into the boat? Star Trek style. Why not fly to the other side and meet them there? That would have been kind of a cool prank, actually. Like, hey, guys, how'd it go? <laughs> Again, none of these questions are answered, but what we do know is that it's the middle of the night, and there is a storm, and the men in the boat are struggling against the wind and the waves, and in the middle of all of that, Jesus goes for a stroll out on the lake, like you do, and it freaks these guys out. And this brings us to Peter. Up to this point, Peter has been named only three times in Matthew's telling of the Jesus story. And they've been in very sort of general ways, most of the time just referring to Peter as one of uh, this group of disciples. What is interesting is that as we move forward, we're going to see Peter become a more prominent character. In fact, in the next five chapters, he will be mentioned very specifically. This is the shift for Peter from a minor character to a major character. Character. Now, to understand Peter in this scene, we need to remember one other bit of context. This is not 
the first time that Peter and the disciples and Jesus have been in a boat on a lake in a storm. Back in Matthew chapter 8, suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. And he replied, you have little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. And the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? That even the winds and the waves obey him. Let's compare and contrast these two scenes here for a moment. In both stories, the disciples are in a boat during a storm, and in both stories, Jesus is disengaged. He's either asleep in the back of the boat or he's not physically present with them. And so both times, the disciples freak out, even though a good chunk of them were fishermen who had been in boats on lakes like this one, probably had been through some storms before. But both times, they freak out. And in both cases, Jesus says, you little faiths, don't be afraid. Both times he saves them and calms the storm, and in both stories, the disciples are amazed at what they witness. There are, however, I think two key differences in these scenes. One of them very much has to do with Peter. In Matthew chapter 8, the big step of faith was getting into the boat. And going with Jesus to the other side of the lake, which for them was a place that was scary and foreign and dangerous. The step of faith was getting in the boat and going with Jesus into the unknown. This time, the step of faith is about getting out of the boat. And to Peter, there's something compelling and confusing about Jesus walking on the water. He asked this question, Lord, if it's you, can I come out there? Now think about that for a second. What an audacious thing to say and ask. He's not even sure if this is Jesus or a ghost. Can I come out there? Now, if you know the stories of Jesus, if you're familiar with some of this stuff, you know that Peter is a prominent character, and you know that one of the things that Peter is known for is for failing. And I think it's really easy to look at this story and to see Peter flailing around in the water and to hear Jesus call him out on his doubt and go, oh, another example of Peter failing. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's the takeaway here at all. Peter, in this moment, embraces the bomb. He takes an incredible risk getting out of the boat, walking on water, and who knows how long that moment lasted, but it must have been pretty cool. Right, And because he was willing to take that risk, he got to experience something that none of the other disciples were able to experience. Peter walked on water. And he does bomb, right? He looks at the wind and he gets scared and he sees the waves and all this stuff and he begins to sink into the lake. But he took the risk. And I think there's an interesting pattern here in what Peter does. I think it relates to how a lot of our lives go. There's this moment of exhilaration. I'm walking on water. And then I wonder if it switches to this moment of of like confidence. I'm walking on water. Check me out. 
And then it turns into this moment of, I'm walking on water, and oh my goodness, the boat's way back there, and Jesus is still way over there, and oh, there's a lot of wind, and there's these big waves, and I'm going to die. I'm going to die right here. (laughs) Isn't this the pattern in our lives? I don't know if I can do this. And then we start doing this thing, and all of a sudden, we're like, oh, I'm doing it. And then we begin to realize the risk that we've taken, and it's this this moment of like, oh no, (laughs) what if it all falls apart? We start drowning as the wind and the waves of life beat us down. Now this leads us back to Jesus. As Peter goes down into the water, he cries out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately, and by the way, this is the third time Matthew uses the word immediately in this scene. There is an urgency to this story. Jesus immediately saves him, reaches out, grabs him, pulls him up out of the water to safety. And Jesus does have some words for Peter here. I would argue that they're actually quite tender. It's kind of like when one of my kids falls off their bike. The Greek word here is the word oligopistoi, little faiths. Hey, little faith, why did you try to do this on your own? I was right here. I got you. It's going to be okay. This leads us to the second big difference with the earlier boat scene. The first time Jesus saves the disciples from the storm, they are amazed and they ask this great question. Such a great question. What kind of man is this? This time, though, they worship Jesus and they say, truly, you are the Son of God. Amazement to worship, questioning, a great question, to deeper conviction. And so I think that there are two uh, really important conclusions for us to sit with this morning. First, I want us to see this progression. I want us to see the process and the progress of the disciples from chapter 8 until chapter 14. Do the disciples have everything figured out at this point? They worship, they call Jesus the Son of God. Do they have it all figured out? No. They've discovered something really important, but they do not have it all figured out. And as we move forward in Matthew, we will see this again and again. They still don't totally understand what is going on with this guy named Jesus. But they are there, and they are seeking more, and they are getting more, and they are learning, and they are growing. And that directional aspect of the process that they are in is so important for us. If you are here this morning, and you're not tracking with this conversation, and you're not totally sure yet what you believe, that is great. We are so glad that you are here, because this is what we are all about as a church. Discovery. Process progress, the direction of your life. We are all, every single one of us in this room, in a process of learning and growing. And the question is not, do you have all of the answers? It's not, do you have all of the right answers or all of the boxes checked? The question is, what direction are you headed in? Is it out of the boat towards Jesus who says, come, Or are you stuck in the boat? Is the direction towards God or away from God? Is it from what sort of man is this towards truly this is the Son of God? What direction are you headed in? And then the second big conclusion for us is that we are all P. 
Peter in this story. If we're being honest, we are all Peter in this story. We have competencies. We have courage. We take risks. Sometimes we do amazing things. Again, Peter walks on water. Some of us here, we study at an incredible university. We have interesting jobs. We're doing things to try to help people. We're raising kids, doing all sorts of interesting things. And yet at the same time, we're still a mess. Despite our competencies, we still worry and doubt, and we blow it all the time. We get caught up looking at the wind. We're all oligopistoi, little face, and we all, like Peter, need to say, Lord, save us. Peter cries out for Jesus and has a resurrection moment. Jesus reaches down, pulls him up from death to life. And yes, Jesus, or, or Peter, sorry, bombs big time in this moment, right? But the failure isn't the failure. The failure isn't the failure. Failure would have been the refusal to admit that he needed help. And yeah, Peter is afraid, but he's not afraid to say, Lord, save me. Later on in the New Testament, this guy named Paul wrote something that I think we can all relate to. He writes, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? I don't know about you, but I feel that. So many things that I would love to be, that I would love to be known for. Noble, courageous, helpful, honorable. And yet I still yell at my kids. And I hurt my wife's feelings. And I violate the way that God intended the world to function and flourish in so many different ways. I bomb all the time. We all bomb. And this guy Paul goes on to say, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus reaching down, pulling us out of our mess from death to life. This is the good news that we celebrate this morning. And so the question for us is, have you reached out and taken that hand? Have you accepted that rescue? Very simple process. Name your mess, call out to be saved, and grab that hand. And then gratefully worship the one, the Son of God, who died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Thanks be to God. To close this morning, I'm going to go off script here for just a minute, so my apologies to our teams for this. <laughs> um, in the traditional church calendar, the way that this weekend typically works is, is there's Good Friday, and then there's this thing called Holy Saturday, and then there's Resurrection Sunday. 
Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Resurrection Sunday. Good Friday, all about lamenting and remembering Jesus' death on the cross. His, his death in our place, the death that we deserve to die. And then Resurrection Sunday, of course, about celebrating the good news that Jesus rose from the dead three days later, came out of that grave, conquered that sin, the curse of death, so that we may have life and have it abundantly now and in, into eternity. But in between that is this thing called Holy Saturday. And I think in a lot of evangelical churches, it's something that we forget about. It's something that we skip over all too easily. Holy Saturday is about remembering the truth that we are in everyday life in between Friday and Sunday. In between the it is finished that Jesus says from that cross and the someday when all things will be made new. When there will truly be new creation. A new heavens and a new earth. i got to admit to you guys this morning, this, this, um, my experience of Holy Saturday um, will never be the same for me. I got the news on Saturday morning that my good friend Jane <clears throat> had passed away after a long bout with cancer. Jane and I were on staff together at a church in Oakland, and she was the worship leader there, and a friend and, and just someone who we got to serve with for that season of life. And I, I, <laughs> I do not bring this up this morning to be manipulative or, or to try to push on any heartstrings or buttons or whatever, but this is just so raw and real for me right now in this moment that um, it'd be dishonest not to name this and to share this with you. Jane was a good musician, but she was a great worship leader. One of the most worshipful people that I've ever been able to know in my life. And our story this morning ends with the disciples worshiping Jesus. And I just, I just can't help but see the connection. And that's what I've been sitting with for the last 24 hours. This is what I want you to hear from me this morning. Not that, oh, Pastor Steve cried that one Easter. This is what I want you to hear. We all worship something. Whether you buy this Christianity thing or not, whether you are spiritual or not, we all worship something. Don't waste your time worshiping junk. Don't waste your life worshiping an inferior master. Faith in Jesus, not about certainty or correct answers. It is about reaching up and grabbing the hand of rescue. It is about worship. Life is short and eternity is long. Don't waste your life worshiping an inferior master. Worship Jesus, the Son of God, our rescuer, who reaches down to pull us from death to life. 
Pray with me. Father, I pray for my our brothers and sisters in Oakland right now who have to somehow gather this morning to celebrate the resurrection and to remember our friend Jane. I pray that even as they are together right now in this very moment, you would be tender to their hearts. That you would remind them that right now Jane is worshiping. Father, for those of us in this room, I pray that we would take that seriously. This question, who do we worship? What do we worship? Father, may the direction of our lives be pointed towards you, towards the Jesus who stands and says, come, who reaches out his hand to rescue us and to pull us from death to life. I pray for everybody here that they would take either that first step or a new step, or a next step out of that boat towards you, towards your promise of rescue and new life. And I pray that we would remember that we are all Peter, that despite our talents and our competencies, we desperately need to be saved. And we need you to save us. So, Father, now as we um, take some time to worship through song and through baptism and through taking communion together, would we do this remembering what you have done for us, remembering how you have rescued us? And may this not just be a great Sunday service, but but a moment that propels us to worship with everything that we have every day, that we would lead lives of worship and that point people towards the good news that we have because of you. We pray all of this in the strong, strong name of Jesus. Amen.